I really felt like I had a skill set for disaster relief that I really could use on the Gulf Coast. We're in disaster mode there nine months out of the year. I mean, literally, I watch every storm. When Hurricane Michael hit, I was watching the hurricane that hit Portugal, you know. So you're always in disaster mode, weather mode down there. And I thought, gosh, I feel like that's a skill set I'm not really going to be able to use much. And then lo and behold, what happened? Right after I get here, we're in a disaster with COVID-19 and all those things that I knew, those experiences immediately kicked in. Welcome to Driven By, I'm Sam Coates. On this show, I talk to people who have boldly blazed their own trail. I break down what drives them, the risks they take, what they've learned, what's most important to them, the ups and downs along the way, and I hope this helps you find what drives you. Hey everybody, as I mentioned last week, while I get ready for the new year, I'm resharing some of my favorite episodes from 2020 for the month of January. My guest this week is Kathy Pope, who is the CEO of Mid-South Food Bank based out of Memphis, Tennessee. I'm sharing this episode because who would have thought almost one year later, we would still be where we are with the COVID-19 pandemic. I reached out to Kathy to get an update on where things are now almost one year later with their work. Here's what she said. In 2019, the Mid-South Food Bank provided 15 million meals. In 2020, they provided close to 42 million meals. They have close to tripled their distribution since the beginning of COVID-19. In this conversation, we talk what food insecurity looks like, what it takes to make this great work happen, the importance of community, and more. Please enjoy my conversation with Kathy Pope. Hey everybody, I'll just make this easy. Do you need insurance? Do you want another opinion about your insurance? Just go ahead and call Matt Haga with State Farm. It'll be easy. If you're thinking about it, just do it. We do have listeners to this show from all over the world. So this offers only for listeners in the state of Tennessee and Mississippi in the United States. Matt Haga State Farm offers auto, home, renters, business, and life insurance. Go to MattHaga.com. That's M-A-T-T-H-A-A-G-A.com and contact them. When you contact Matt, tell him I sent you. Now more than ever, it is harder to fly. That's why you need to know of AB Jets. If you want to be efficient with your time and fly with one of the safest private air companies in the world, then you need to use AB Jets. AB Jets has received the prestigious Argus Platinum rating the last eight consecutive years, which goes to less than 5% of operators in the world. AB Jets is one of the largest Lear 60 jet companies in the United States with nonstop access to most destinations around the U.S. Efficient, clean, and easy to work with, AB Jets is an experience that gets you where you need to go on time and with no hassle. Go to abjets.com for more information and book your trip today or call them at 888-520-JETS. That's J-E-T-S. Now we're going to get back to the show. What was it like starting 2020 and having your plans and objectives that you were shooting for for the year, the next few years, and then just kind of being totally thrown a curveball with COVID? I think 
which I, I know we'll get into this, there's a lot of really great publicity that you have and the organization has on how y'all pivoted very quickly and just added a tremendous amount of value to the city that you're still doing. But I'm just curious, what's that like as a leader, you know, moving to a new city, taking over an established, well-known, large organization, wanting to put your own kind of plans and directions in place, and then totally just something out of the blue, just totally coming up unexpected? Yeah, well, I'm thankful that I had some months to kind of get settled before this hit. So I started the third week of August and just kind of have gotten the staff used to me, probably the board used to me, getting to know people, spending time with people, listening, a lot of listening. You know, what has the food bank been doing? What are our strengths? What are our weaknesses? What about the infrastructure in the food bank? Because this is a new facility. They moved in in July, and then I come in August. And so now because this facility is significantly larger than they had had before as far as warehouse space, we can think differently. We can accept more food items. We pretty much don't say no to anything. Uh, we're great partners with the Department of Agriculture, so they send us a lot of product. And now, whenever they have any kind of excess at all, we let Nashville know, we can take whatever, you know, ask us, what food do you have? We had already kind of sort of been talking about where I wanted to head as far as getting a Mississippi facility. And I knew the importance of that, to be able to serve North Mississippi adequately, we were going to need a warehouse space. Also, reaching out more to the, agri the local agricultural community to let everybody know who we are and what we do and that we can accept food items. You know, perhaps we obviously can't accept junk that we can't feed anybody. We always look at it like, would I feed my own family this food? And that's how we make our decisions of what donations we will accept. So honestly, we had already kind of headed in a direction that we're kind of at right now. We have a warehouse in Mississippi. We have great relationships with farmers. I mean, it just kind of catapulted us to where I knew we could get eventually. But being on the Gulf Coast and having that disaster experience of working through hurricanes down there, because we assisted the whole state of Florida with Irma. Uh, one of our counties, Bay County on the Panhandle, was hit with Hurricane Michael. So I really feel like it was just a blessing that I have already been through hurricanes and disaster and this team and I started planning before the middle of March. We knew what was coming. You could, you could hear in the news. You knew that we were going to be shut down uh, in some capacity. And the minute Shelby County Schools closed, we, we went into action. We already had food orders in the queue. We knew we had to build food boxes. So the team really rallied quickly and put those plans in motion. And we just it's just blown out of the water with how much food we've gotten in the door and out of the door in these eight weeks. That is amazing. Since you've been here, since the third week of August, did you already open up that Mississippi facility? Is that what you said? Well, we just got in there like a week ago. I, I knew that I wanted to do that, but I certainly wasn't going to do it this year. You know, so this virus, it's a very sad virus. It's a very sad pandemic, not just because of the health and the people that have suffered and how it's affected people physically, but then also economically. 
But, you know, acknowledging that and believing it and just grieving with that is a reality. But then also just kind of separately from that, because of your previous experience down on the Gulf and because of the virus and then how things had to change so fast and then how quickly y'all's organization pivoted, it sounds like it almost just kind of pushed you forward at a faster pace to move in a direction that you wanted to go anyway. So y'all, it just kind of jump-started you. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. It did. Yeah. We, we know the recovery for all of us, for our communities, is going to be a, a long, long-term recovery. I mean, there's no way you could live on the edge financially prior to the virus and have this unemployment, business closings. I mean, it's devastating for our communities. We'll bounce back. We know that. It's just going to take some time. So we knew that we needed to have a facility in North Mississippi if we had any hope of getting the quantity of food out to those communities that we need to. And yeah, so we just, there's just no way we can distribute that amount of food because we're incre- we've distributed, Sam, three times the amount of food that we normally distribute. That is an, an enormous amount of food coming in the warehouse and out of the warehouse. Is that 500 families a day? Oh, more than 500 families. We're probably serving, we served 54,000 families just with mobile pantries in April. Oh my goodness. Pantries. That's not counting what our agencies um, are serving at their local brick and mortar pantries, of which we work with 300 in the Mid-South. I mean, that's right at 2,000, just under 2,000, just for the mobile pantries a day. Yes, we have mobile pantries where we're serving 300 families, 500 families. We've got a couple that we serve 1,000 families. We're running 12, 10 to 12 mobile pantries just on Saturdays. So we, we usually just work five days a week, generally. We don't have to go too much in detail, but I think, you know, there's this assumption that government programs, subsidized food, you know, allowances and things like that um, are provided, obviously, in our country and in our community. But from the food bank perspective and from like this perspective and how, like the, how great the need is and how, how great of a need that the Memphis Food Bank is providing, can you talk a little bit about the necessity and the purpose and the value that the food bank does that nobody else can do. Yeah, the, the food banks of which there are 200 in the country, we're affiliated with Feeding America. We are the only entity that does exactly what we do. So we work through partner agencies, which is gonna be your neighborhood food pantry. It may be a, a, a nonprofit like Neighborhood Christian. Or, or it may be the church pantry right down the street from you, but we work with 300 of those partner agencies. And so before the virus, we would have distributed 1.4 million pounds a month to those agencies, and we would have conducted about 20 mobile pantries a month. So the mobile pantry is just getting that food out to a community that has a great need that maybe that need is not being met by the brick and mortar pantry. Like they don't have the capacity to serve 300 families. So we will, we will go out to a community that has great need to get those 300 families served. But we were doing about 20 a month. So our job is to make sure that our partner agencies have the food that they need. So when their families come to their distribution, they have food. 
so it's a lot of pressure just to make sure you have enough food coming in your warehouse to get it out to all of our 31 counties. So we serve 31 counties in the Mid-South. From the square footage perspective, how much, when y'all moved into your new facility last year from the previous facility, how much new square footage did you gain? We doubled it. We went from two different facilities that had 80,000 square feet to one facility that we retrofitted an existing warehouse and it has 150,000 square feet. Now we have 60,000 square feet that we haven't finished that we rented out and in five, seven years, we will probably take that, that over, that space over as well. But we've got room to grow. Wow. So when you started to see the news and then you, and I know you're on, you're on daily calls with the city and crisis response team or whatever the specific name is, like you're, you're very connected, very involved. You're a priority in the community. So you were very informed, but when that was starting to kind of unfold and y'all were really starting to move and y'all were like really going into action, even at a higher pace than what you were previously operating at, did you feel comfortable because of your previous experience or was it a mix of emotion between like comfort, but then also some just some nerves because it was new? I mean, I really, I'm a pretty calm person anyway. I'm very matter of fact, we've got business to do, let's do it kind of reaction a little bit. I was very thankful for the disaster relief experience I had on the Gulf Coast because I knew that there were some things that we could tap into through the state, for example. We're partnering with the Tennessee Emergency Management, the Mississippi Emergency Management on a state level. So I'm on those state calls and we petitioned to get food through the TEMA and MEMA to get that food into the warehouse, which we've been successful doing. I was a little concerned, even my staff said, ooh, we can tell you're stressed. I was stressed at the beginning because the the pressure the food bank has to make sure that you have food in the warehouse is tremendous. And I was concerned that we wouldn't have enough food. I mean, we were distributing immediately so quickly. I literally could not sleep thinking we cannot have an empty warehouse. People are going to be looking to us. Our agencies are going to be calling us. People are going to be looking to us to provide food. So I'm like, where is the food? So all of our management meetings were, where are the funds? Where is the food? Leave no stone left unturned. And that's what we did. And we tapped into a lot of different avenues to get food in the warehouse. Did y'all tap into restaurants that had already had excess food and produce and things that were not being used? Yes. And we already had started that. We had a program that was in effect probably four months before this hit, uh, Meal Connect. And we had been running that program to where if a restaurant has excess anything, they go on that app and post it. And then we have volunteers trained that have the equipment that can go pick that food up and get it to one of our partner agencies. So we were doing that. We also got food from TEMA and that food is still coming in, Tennessee Emergency Management. Feeding America has a portal that we were able to get um, truckloads of food from that portal. And then, like I said, we had food orders in the queue before March 12, which we called disaster day one. That was when Shelby County schools shut down because we knew once that happened, there were going to be families that needed us. So we set goals of distribution, how many pounds need to go into each one of our counties, how are we going to get there, how many mobile pantries might we need to do to 
push us over that goal. Of course, we already had that goal of setting the Mississippi office up, the warehouse up. We talk about how we can help our agencies. So we look very deeply at what is the capacity of our agencies. And we've got some agencies that, you know, they're run by two 80-year-olds. They want to serve the 50 families they're serving, and that's all they can do, and that's fine. But of the agencies that can do more, we look at how can we help them build their capacity. Uh, We set fundraising goals. One of the new goals that we had is we wanted a signature event. We probably will not, that probably won't happen this fall, but that would have been another goal that we set. So we're constantly looking at where are we, where do we want to be, what's the timeline, and how are we going to get there? Hey, everybody. We're going to take a quick pause here from the show and hear a word from one of our sponsors. After that, we'll get back to the show. Do you want to make efficient use with your time? Now more than ever, traveling hassle-free is harder to find. AB Jets is one of the safest private air companies in the world with impeccable service with nonstop access to most destinations around the USA. AB Jets has received the prestigious Argus Platinum rating the last eight consecutive years, which goes to less than 5% of operators in the world. Bypass the hassle and get an AB Jets jet card it gets you 10 or 25 hour flight options that makes your experience hassle free. AB Jets carries up to eight passengers and is one of the largest Lear 60 operators in the US. Go to abjets.com for more information or call them at 888-520-JETS. That's J-E-T-S to travel on your own terms. So what does it look like when you set a goal and when you'll hit it, and let's just say you're going to double your warehouse space. So then you need to get enough food. So talk to enough farmers, talk to all the different relationships and contacts to fill the warehouse. Does what this look like on a monthly or a weekly basis is you just kind of facilitate with the team and break a goal, a, a challenge, an objective down in very incremental steps, and that you're facilitating conversation with the team, what needs to be done, and then you're delegating those assignments, and then you're using data on the back end to see if it was successful. Is that an example? Yeah, that's a very good example. Yeah. For example, specifically at a food bank, Feeding America, we work, you work very closely with Feeding America. I mean, they don't own us. We're affiliated with them. We're our own 501c3. We have our own budget. They have nothing to do with that, but they're big supporters. So of the 31 counties we have the responsibility for, so that's 12 in West Tennessee, 18 in North Mississippi, and Crittenden across the river in Arkansas. And they run all, they crunch all the numbers and they look at poverty, unemployment, food insecurity. They look at a lot of data and they tell us how many pounds of food we need to put in in each one of our counties in a year's time for so over a 12 month period. And they do it on a rolling quarter basis for us to meet half the need in that county. The reason we only have to meet half the need is a lot of other people, Sam, are feeding that have nothing to do with the food bank or Feeding America. They're just out there feeding. So we know what those numbers are. I mean, they're very specific. We know exactly how many food insecure people are in each one of our counties because of the data Feeding America gives us. 
So if you meet that need, you get a green. And if you do not meet that need, you're in red. And our agreement with Feeding America, we agree we're gonna make all of our counties green. And we're not there. And we weren't there when I got here. And so that was my main focus because in order to be compliant with Feeding America, you need all green. So we were already focusing on that and had made a little bit of headway um, just in the few months that I had gotten here and we had kind of regrouped on how to make it happen. And then, then the virus hit. So we haven't really even talked about red or green yet. We'll, you know, we have not come up for air to be honest with you. When do you think you'll talk about, like from previous experience, dealing with something like this? And I think this is like really helpful to anybody with anything they're, they're dealing with or going through. Like you totally got sidetracked, but yet you're going to pick it back up. Yeah. You're going to deal with what you have to deal with now, but then you're going to pick it back up. Like when do you think you'll at least pick up the conversation again? And how will you create alignment and momentum on like continuing the goal? Yeah, I think probably we need a, a, another couple of months to just kind of get our footing. The need, even though now we're talking about, oh, well, people are going to start going back to work and businesses are going to be open. We're all very hesitant to do that, concerned that we're going to have a, a spike in, in COVID-19 cases, obviously. But if you've missed one or two months worth of work, you're not going to recover next month right? You've got, that's going to be a good six, nine months for you to even get back on your feet. So we know our work is going to continue pretty heavily for the next, we're looking at the next 60 days, and then we're going to look at what our numbers look like. But yes, we'll get back to that. But coincidentally, during all of this, and uh, we're happy about it, we've distributed so much food into our counties, we're probably green in some of them, (laughs) red in, just because we've put three times the amount of food in these counties. So that probably has helped us. We'll have to have a maintenance plan, obviously, to maintain it. Um, But that's just one example of goals that we've set and what we want to do. We're so fortunate to have you here in Memphis and so thankful that you. you made time this morning. And I just hope there's a lot of people out in the Memphis community that can just learn from your life experience, learn from your career, learn from how you handle things, and I just, I've had a great time talking to you this morning. Thank you so much. It's been an honor to spend this time with you, Sam. I really appreciate it. You bet, Kathy. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Driven By Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review. Also, please subscribe to the show, follow me on social, and join me on this curiosity-fueled journey so that you can feel that same sense of purpose and see the opportunities that are right for you. All of this at drivenbypodcast.com. See you next time on the Driven By Podcast.